are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. This episode of the Traditional Outdoors Podcast is sponsored by Great Northern Bow Company. If you're a bow hunter, you're a descendant of a very old and very long line of independent, skillful, and resourceful human beings that reaches back to prehistory. You may not think of yourself as a rare breed, but you are. Bow hunters who use longbows and recurve bows for their hunting are a breed of part. They form a personal connection with their hunting equipment, especially their bows. At Great Northern Bow Company, they design and build every bow with you in mind and with respect for the long and noble hunter-gatherer lineage we are all connected to. They build hunting bows, bows designed to make you the very best bow hunter you can be. How do they do it? By paying attention to what really matters in a bow. Stability, smoothness of draw, reliability, performance, refined design, and by using carefully selected materials. Their bows have an understated beauty and refinement of appearance that will make them hold their appeal for a lifetime, and they still build their bows one at a time by hand. Now, Great Northern Bow Company could build fancy bows, they could build souped-up bows, or they could build bows and make impressive-sounding claims about them. That isn't what they do. They build real-world bows for the real world of bow hunting. If there are any claims to be made, you will be the one to make them. And you'll make them based on the confidence and success you'll experience through many years of hunting with your Great Northern Bow. So consider making your next custom bow a Great Northern Bow. And in the meantime, be sure to check out their website at gnbco.com. Well, how's it going, Tom? Man, it's been it's been quite a while since uh, we've had you directly on the show. I guess it was all the way back when we did our gear review for before going to Wyoming. Well, I'm doing great. We had some good uh, good intentions to get a few more in, but life always seems to get a little bit in the way. Yeah, everything here is good. How about you? Going doing really well. I've managed to. Uh, Getting out on Sundays, and I've mixed in a few f- afternoons here and there, but mm-hmm. uh, can't really complain. And you've got a you've got a bear hunt coming up. Well, I do. Speaking of bears, it's been uh, an gonna... interesting year, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, I figured you were going to bring that up. Most people's probably already seen it on on Facebook. So uh-huh. yeah. Uh, so I had a fairly close encounter with a, a pretty decent-sized Bruin this past weekend. Um, first spotted him out probably 250 yards. I was actually hunting some public land with uh, Crispin Henry, who was back on episode 19, I think it was. Um, he was set up a couple hundred yards from me, and I actually thought the bear had come from his direction, but he never saw it. Hmm. And... I'm watching this bear and I'm thinking, you know, the odds that he's going to come my direction are very, very low. And he, he was meandering a little bit back and forth, but all of a sudden I went, you know what? He's getting a lot closer. I think there's a good chance he's going to come right to me. And I, you know, I was trying to video, which I'm really trying to do every hunt this year is, is, you know, carry my camera, get it set up. And, and sure enough, he's, he was following he was actually walking below a well-used deer trail that i was using and when i really needed him to stop 
you know, he was, he was on the move. So I, you know, I hit anchor. I was staring intently at the spot and I, I led him just a little bit and swung through and I never saw the little two inch maple that I centered with. I mean, and I absolutely centered it with the arrow. It was, if you, if anybody's seen the video, you can see the arrows just, it looks perfect. I mean, it would have been a, it would have been a perfect shot if it hadn't been for that maple that grew up in the time it took me to release the arrow (laughs) (laughs) you know it 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 did look like you were center of center i mean it was perfectly center punched into the middle of a round object so congrats he did a nice job on that one uh nick messaged me and he wanted to know the grid coordinates so if you can provide that to me (laughs) i will send that to him and you know, no, I've already decided <laughs> the, so that the Magnus head is actually still in that tree. Um, nobody will, the chances of anybody finding this thing, it's in the middle of a, you know, several thousand acres of hardwood. And I think it's probably a mile and a half from the nearest place you can park. So, if I get back up that way sometime after season, I'm probably gonna, I'm probably gonna cut the tree and uh, I'll, I'll bring my little trophy home. But there's no way Nick's getting his hands on it. <laughs> Not happening. So, but uh, you know, uh, uh, so Trispin and I plan to to come down at uh, one o'clock. The the uh, the the moon phase. The Solonar table said there should be some movement around lunch, which didn't happen, but. We, we sat there to one, uh, grabbed a bite of lunch up on, on top of the, the ridge that we were on, and um, I told him we needed to move a little bit because the wind was supposed to shift in the afternoon. So I took all of my gear, walked another quarter of a mile, put Crispin on another spot that I've had success in in the past. And I had a couple more spots picked out on GPS that I had never hunted. It just, you know, the, the terrain, um, the the topo and the imagery view looked like it would be a pretty good area. Both of them would be pretty good areas. So I went to one and realized I was still a little bit too close to Crispin. So I continued on to the second one. I got set up, settled in, and I had actually just finished uh, mounting my uh, base and putting my camera arm on and had sat down in the seat and heard something off to my left and, and another bear was coming through a little bit bigger than the first one. Really? really and i watched him for maybe three to five minutes but he was he was working along the edge of some mountain laurel about when i first saw him he was probably 100 yards he probably got as close as 60 yards Hmm. um and then turned and and went down in that mountain laurel walking away from me but yeah i had two fairly close bear encounters um had i been gun hunting i could have i could have limited out on bears in one day if i'd wanted to but uh Hmm. And then Crispin saw he had one doe come in right before dark. And uh, after he waited on me to, because it took me a while to get my gear down and get back up to him and met him up and we turned and started walking out. We didn't go maybe 50 yards and I heard movement and slammed the brakes on and told him, I said, we got a sounder of hogs crossing the road in front of us. And two minutes after I got those words out of my mouth, they were right below us and chopping their teeth together and grunting and carry on. And, um, we didn't even, 
I don't know on public land. I don't think you can even shoot hogs at night. So we just, you know, kind of stood there and listened to them. We didn't, we didn't try to shoot them, but it was a, it was a big sound or hog. So in one day we deer, bear and hog. So it was actually a very good hunt, even though we didn't bring anything out with us. (laughs) There's so many details I did have. I like, I had no idea. Yeah, it was a heck of a hunt. Um, So, yeah, I hope you have as good a success. Now, you're going to be in the UP, right? Yeah, yeah, it'll be right up on uh, Lake Superior, up in the Porcupine Mountains. Uh, What will it be, like 36 hours from now? I don't know. I haven't packed yet. But, yeah, I'll be up there and um, pretty excited. They found a few big bears up there, um, both on camera during the day. And I'll tell you what, a a couple of good bears been passed on um i don't know but i'm kind of excited about this one so i don't want to jinx it but well, i'm coming up quick definitely don't yeah definitely don't want you to do that i'm i'm gonna get out maybe one or two more times up there not in the same area not in the same exact area but i'm gonna hunt the same general area at least two more times this year um who knows what'll happen i would i would really love to get a bear and would <laughs> would really love to get one just you know hunting you know natural travel corridors that would be just very cool so and i i can't believe how close you've been to bears without bait or anything else i mean you find yourself in the spot over and over again so yeah it's pretty funny just reading uh georgia boo-boo <laughs> <laughs> Nick's uh, yeah it's pretty funny yeah so i show up at a buddy's house i'm gonna uh ratchet up his um safety lines and tree stands and we're gonna hang a new ladder stand and stuff like that right so uh this was on sunday and i look down there's a copy of the book on the table and i don't want to like derail our conversation but it was pretty mm-hmm. funny i just folded it open uh Georgia Boo Boo, and I was laughing. So here you are. We're, we're we're talking tonight about Georgia black bears walking through your traffic corridors, and well, we've been you, here before. Uh, yeah, we have. And if you go back and look, and I'll 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 send you a link to the I'll put the full video uh, up in a Google Drive or something, and send you the link to see it all. Because there's a couple things that I I didn't include in that video. Um, well, I guess one of them I kind of did. If you look at the very start of that video, um, that was a decent-sized bear. If you look at his head, mm-hmm. um, now they have a – we don't have a huge white oak uh, acorn crop, so they're having to travel a lot more for food. Um, mm-hmm. But if it had been last year, that bear would have had a lot more weight on it, I think. But if you look at his head, he was, he was a pretty good-sized bear. And I was actually up – the wind was kind of slow, and it wasn't real consistent. Sunday so I climbed a little or went up a little bit higher I've stretched my sticks out about as far as I could and I Hmm. was about 20 probably 25 foot high and it was a solid 22 yards from the base of my tree to where he was standing when or where he was walking through when I shot which I did the math on it the other day it's actually the the distance the arrow traveled was closer to 30 yards because of the the angles but Anyway, it was, I was very proud of the shot. Now, here's what was funny, and this is what you couldn't see on the video. If you saw right when I shot, there was a little clump of greenery just right to the right of where my, my arrow flew. Okay. When that 
arrow hit the tree, that bear lurched a full three foot (laughs) and got right behind that green stuff and sat down. And I'm sitting there. If you watch the full video, I have time to get another arrow to knock the arrow. I'm moving the camera around. And the whole time, all I can see is his head. And he's just sitting there on his back haunches, looking around back and forth, like trying to figure out what that noise was. And I'm thinking, you know, if he gets up and walks back the way he came, I might get another shot. And then all of a sudden, I don't know if he got a whiff of me. I don't know if he saw the air and, and smelt me on the air or what he did, but he, man, he was out of there like a bolt of lightning. But I'll, I'll put mm. the full video up somewhere and share that with you just so you can see it. Yeah, love to see that. But before we sit here and just continue rambling about <laughs> about bears and, and, and Georgia deer hunting, we mm-hmm. actually wanted to get together and, and talk about, uh, really do a recap. We kind of promised a recap on our, on our gear choices and, um, I think we're probably going to sit down and try to actually do a, an episode around just the, the hunt itself. So we're going to try to separate those a little bit, but okay. tonight, tonight I wanted to just go back through our list and talk about our gear choices. Um, some of them we're probably going to get into pretty deep and some of them we'll probably just skim through, but you know, just kind of go back through everything that we talked about a month and a half, two months ago and let folks know, you know, what lived up to expectations, what didn't, what we would do differently. Um, Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, before we get into that, I'm going to preface it again, just because I want to be clear, all of this gear was bought with our our hard-earned money. The only discounts we got was if it was a public sale and everybody else got it. We None of this gear was pro staff, donations, gear, you know, offered for gear reviews, none of that. So, 100% 100% paid for by us. I want to be clear on that so people just understand we've got we've got no reason other than to be nothing other than brutally honest. True. And I, I pulled up the list here, Tom, and if it's all right with you, we'll just go in the same order we went through when we actually talked about what we had bought and why a few a month or so back. Is that yeah, all right with you? Sure thing, as long as we don't start with backpacks. Yeah, we're going to start with backpacks. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, our pack you tell your story first. You want me to go first? Yeah, please do. Um, okay. So for, um, for my pack, I went with a, uh, Kifaru. Um, and I forget the episode, but anybody can go back. If you haven't listened to the episode where we talked about what we bought, it's out there. You can go find it. It's three or four episodes back, but you know, I did a lot of I did a lot of uh, research, um, went through a lot of forums, and tried to weigh out the positives and the negatives. And the biggest negative that I really saw was a lot of people they didn't necessarily care for uh, the way the Kafaru looked. And personally, if it performs and does what it's supposed to do, I'm not a big uh, you know I don't necessarily care what the pack looks like. So I went with a Kafaru. I bought the Kafaru um, frame. I did speak with Aaron Snyder on the phone just to make sure I got the right um, frame size. Um, I went with a Nomad 2, which if you're not familiar with that, it's really just a set of uh, batwing uh, compartments. And 
Um, it's got straps built into it. So you've got compression straps that you can put over the load that's underneath or behind the wings. And then you've got another set of straps that you can actually strap the wings down and then the wings buckle together. Hope I'm explaining that well. Um, along with that, I bought a native, which is a, I think it's either 11 or 1300 cubic inch. Basically it's like a dump pack, but I want to go back into the native because, I'm very impressed with that little piece of gear. Uh, I bought the Grabit, which is just like a shelf at the bottom. It's a um, two straps, a piece of um, Cordura material with buckles that allow you to basically let stuff fall down, in, and it holds it in place, and you can strap it up back to the frame. So if you had meat in, in, uh, in game bags, those kind of things, easy to make it so it'll support all of that weight from the bottom. And then a guide lid, which strapped to the top. Now, everything about the choices, which did play into this, and I'm going to let you talk about some of that because you had the experience, not me. But I went with all this gear for the reason that beyond the mule deer hunt in Wyoming, I would be able to use this pack for uh, other things from carrying stands to, you know, maybe short backcountry hunts here in, in the east. Um, and also for, uh, the ability to use some of these components as an approach pack, if we were doing, uh, glassing and spot and stalk and those kind of things. Mm -hmm. Um, I will just, so now that I've given all that background from a perspective of loading the pack down, um, I was very pleased with the ability to load it. I think, um, the first day I was roughly around 75. I know I was 75 plus. I think when we weighed the pack, it was 73. And I actually added a few more pieces of gear to that. Um, mm-hmm. We hiked roughly four and a half miles from the point where we stopped the car or, or parked the car to where we actually camped. There was a roughly 2000 feet of elevation change up and down that we went through. So we were climbing some pretty steep hills. And I can't remember the actual amount of time it took us to do that time because I know we stopped a lot just because of the thin air, but it was several hours, and I'll leave it at that. Fair enough. Little, a little bit top-heavy, but on the trip out, I readjusted. That was more my fault than it was the packs. When we went back out, roughly carrying the same load, and that's a whole other story we're going to save for later. Um, the... <laughs> The pack, it was partially my fault having not really loaded that much weight in the pack. I was able to lower the center of gravity down, let the, the grab it out a little bit, drop that native down, and it was much better going back out. Later in the hunt, because of some, again, stuff we won't get into in this podcast, we actually re- relocated and we didn't have to use uh, the main pack frame as much. I pulled the native out with it, and it has its own back pack straps it has its own waist belt and its own chest chest strap i was able to load anything i wanted to load in that for a day's worth of hunting um and it functioned so great i i'm really and i I posted something about this on facebook it's probably the favorite piece of gear from my trip that i acquired specifically for the trip to wyoming I have replaced my Badlands tree stand pack that I normally use here in the east for whitetails. I'm using the native every time I go out. It holds my fourth era camera arm, uh, base, my camera, any my my gloves, spare clothes, everything. I've moved my molly holders that I bought for my water bottle to the native. 
and I'm carrying literally everything that I need to hunt on that little native pack, and I absolutely love it. It's quieter, it's quicker, and it's easier to use than the tree stand uh, Badlands pack I've been using for a couple of years. And with all that said, now I'm going to stop and I'm going to let you talk for a minute because I just went on and on there. You know, the interesting thing for me was watching you going through those elevation changes, watching you load it down with the weight. When we left out of that trailhead, uh, I think you were about seven or eight pounds heavier than I was. I'll be honest, like you had everything in that pack. It, it certainly didn't look sexy, right? I mean, from a guy that's been doing a little bit of little bit of hiking it it was wide it was low fit you well it handled the weight well but going up into the high country that was that that was pretty tough when you look at the weight you know it's i think i I thought we had like 76 leaving out from uh where we parked the car it was something like that i want to think it was 73 but again i and i can't remember now what i added but i added several pieces of gear no you you added all the water after that and then there was one piece of gear that was on the bubble and i can't remember what it was it was something about recording but you added that and quite a bit of water so yeah you added you had quite a bit of weight at the last minute it's you know whatever the difference was 70 to 76 or 71 to 75 i mean that that that's a pretty big jump when you're at that altitude compared mm-hmm. to the altitude you're training at so yeah so but look at it, the pack on like as you're going down the trail definitely looked like it fit you well it was holding the weight close to your center mass it was definitely not swaying in any way and i had the opposite experience so where you definitely had a lot of miles on your setup before you left i was kind of shooting from the hip so i had that uh extra tall uh ku ultra uh carbon fiber pack frame with the uh the ultra uh, suspension and the 5500 cubic inch bag so i had a lot more room than you had which we sorted all of our gear out i i ended up getting a lot of stuff but not a lot of weight. I don't, don't know if that was by your plan or not, but I think I was about 69 pounds after I added water. Does that sound right to you? I think that was pretty close. So I'm thinking I was like six pounds or so lighter than you. So good news, right? Like all of the stuff held up, good quality connectors, everything was good load-wise, all of those things. I I, I thought a lot of the stuff about the system was really good. Um, I certainly didn't have a number of miles on the gear, right? Right. So you're a little older than I am. You prepared a lot more. Got your gear ready. I, 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 was, I was leaning on experience and kind of hoping that it would go well. It's kind of interesting because with our age gap, I mean, we were definitely in the zone together and with Mm -hmm. the weight we were in a similar range you actually carried more than i did both in and out of uh camp one but your pack it never wobbled like you had your trekking poles and you're like hey can i carry that extra long bow you were definitely ready for this right um the backpack i had i didn't have the 
number of hours and miles that you had for experience. And it, it, it was top end shaky, right? I mean, I tried to move the weight as far down as I could, but the way it sat up high, it was tough. So love the frame. I, I like the side zipper. I like the, the, the way it was waterproof. I like the, uh, sides being open for tripods and spotting scopes and all of that stuff. But, um, there were a few things I didn't like about the pack, to be honest. So, um, it's a great bargain, right? I mean, it's, it's half the price under half the price of your pack, but mm-hmm. it wasn't great. So I don't know, man, it's so much better than the stuff that I've had in the past that I don't want to talk down about it at all. On the other hand, like I look at the build quality of the stuff that you had, it it was clearly better. Some of your components were heavier than mine, right? The Ultra definitely goes into the lightweight model, but that's like, man, I, I was kind of jealous at a few points. <laughs> so, you know, the, the other piece that um, was really cool was I mentioned that I used my native um, as a, as a backpack for over half of the hunt mm-hmm. and the guide lid also has hidden backpack <laughs> straps. And you ended up, once we rem- once I remembered where the heck they were, you used the yeah. guide lid as a, as a, as a backpack for five, five days. I did. I totally scavenged, uh, your pack <laughs> off. It's going to be really interesting to see how this plays into the episode. We talk about the hunt versus the right. gear, but I ended up pulling my guide lid off and kind of converting it with extra 550 cord into a haversack. Oh, I forgot about that. That's right. Yep. Yeah. yeah I hunted that one day and it did okay. Um, but compared to uh, the lid that I borrowed from you, I mean, I was mightily impressed. Once you found the straps, that thing was gold. And... So I actually ended up borrowing the lid off Steve's pack for the entirety of the uh, hunt uh, over there in Cloud Peak Wilderness or just outside of it right. um, because it had great, you know, great storage. It was quiet. I could put it over my shoulders. It had some structural integrity to it. Everything about that was, I mean, it was a nice size. I, I definitely enjoyed having a quick grab you know, kind of a assault bag without packing all that stuff or having the, the cordage cutting into my shoulder. So yep. there's some things I liked about the Kuyu. It could carry a lot of gear in a fairly lightweight configuration and it could carry big gear. But in the end, we'll see. I I I might have some of your Kafaru stuff before I go on my next out west adventure. Well, and honestly, that was going to be that was going to be my next question is if 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 you went back and I'm not definitely not asking you to, to say what you would replace it with. But if you if you went back to do it all over again, would you buy that pack again? You know what? With the time I had available, the weight I had, it's a good it's a good compromise pack, right? For what we were doing. Yep. If if I had to weigh every pound I mean, you know, I've done fishing trips where I've had to pay per pound for charter service, right? From an airplane. Mm-hmm. Yep. If I was going someplace where I was paying by the pound for my gear, 
I might do the Kuyu again, uh, the Ultra line specifically. For what we did, I would do, I would look back at Exo Mountain, uh, Kafaru, uh, some of the other things we talked about in the previous episode. I right. Stone Glacier. There was a few other Mystery Ranch. There were a few others that were on the list. And if you're driving to the trailhead, I might look for something a little heavier and sturdier. But seriously, if I was going like high up in the North Country, I I might I might pick the Kuyu again. Well, depending on where I'm walking. I I wasn't trying to put you on the spot. I know it sounded like I kind of did. I I, I will did. just follow. I will just follow up with. I would buy mine. Everything that I've got, I would do it all over again. The only thing that I might change, and it's really not something I would change. It's something I plan to add to. I do plan to get on the phone when after hunting season because I know everybody's hunting right now and I don't need it. But I'm going to get on the phone and I'm going to talk to Aaron Snyder a little bit about what I could potentially replace the native with. Yeah. Not because I didn't like it. I, I love the native. It, 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 like I said, it's probably my favorite piece of gear from the whole trip. But it would have been nice to have had a little bit more storage, even if it's just a simple dump sack in the, in the center as opposed to that native. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, the other thing that I can do is I can actually use, and again, this comes back to that whole flexibility and the, the, the the reconfigurability of the Kafaru stuff. I can actually take, leave the guide lid off, put a bigger, um, center compartment, a dump sack, whatever I want to, where I had the native and the native will actually attach just like a guide lid. So I can turn it into a guide lid. So, I mean, I've got a lot of options there, and again, it's nothing I would replace. It's just something I might do a little bit differently if I knew I was going to be going in for a week and needed to hike all my gear in at one time. I think it would be easier if I did that and didn't try to cram so much into bat wings because I had the bat, the, the wings, both the main, main compartment as well as the back expandable part of those the, the Nomad wings full, and it, that's what made it look so wide. Well, and the other so. thing, too, is you had a, quite a bit of weight in those wings. And as you move that weight out from center mass, like, I, I think you would have been better suited to have a bigger pack that could have been, you know, tight and center. But how, how big is that native? 2,200? No, no, no. The native is only like 1,100. Maybe I think it's either 11 or 13, but it's not over 13. I think it's 11. I mean, it's a great pack, right? I mean, I saw mm-hmm. you with it on your back as we were hunting, you know, up the mountain the last few days and you had your gear in it. It like, it was tight. Everything was good, but I agree with, I'm like, so the good thing is you're bought into the system. You've got a great frame. You got great straps. You've got like, it's modular. So Mm -hmm. yeah, you can change out one piece and be set for next time, right? Whatever next time brings. Uh, The bad thing for me is, I got 5,500 cubic inches. I'm not going to use this for any part of this for Eastern hunting. Looking at the hunts I have scheduled, I I might not need something like this for several years to come. So I don't know. It I'd like to see a bigger pack actually in use. So go ahead and run out and buy something about 3,000 <laughs> cubic inches with the bat wings. Uh, and we'll go do another hunt and see how it goes. Yeah, we'll see. I like I said, I I'll be honest, watching watching you with your pack, the only thing that I could 
it just looked like there were a lot of times that you were struggling left or right as far as it, it yeah. just, it didn't seem like it was very sturdy or stable up top. And I, man, I felt for you, especially again, I don't want to get into all the details of the hunt cause we won't do another episode around that. But, um, you know, uh, Sunday morning, I, uh, midday, I was, I was feeling pretty bad for you cause I know that was <laughs> tough, but, um, but anyway, we beat the packs up enough. I think we, I think yeah. we got the point across about it, you know, it, for the, for the situation we had, I, let's just leave it as the pack that I had ended up being a, a better for this situation. Might not be the, might not necessarily be that for the next situation, and we'll move on. Yeah. So, Kim, I, I'll I'll tell you, thank you for having that uh, that lid that I could pull the like shoulder straps out of and use. I mean, I, it really did help me get deeper into the hunt. So I, well, and I'll be, I'll be perfectly honest with you. Yeah. Here's what I will say. I think it's probably the very first time that I can recall that my research into a system like that had me ahead of you. (laughs) So I'm proud of it (laughs) because you, you always put, no, I mean, but that's a compliment to you. You always put so much thought into everything and I'm, I'm sitting there going, Damn, I never would have even thought about that. So, you know, I'm just being honest with you. It was a, it was, it felt good to be able to, you know, in let let you have a better experience part of your hunt because of something that I had researched and planned out and and knew, you know, we could take advantage of this system in multiple ways. So, it, it mm-hmm. honestly, it felt good. And yeah. you got plenty of those coming up with some of the rest of this stuff because when we get down <laughs> to the food, man. You did phenomenal on that, but before we go that far, let's right. let's just skip on into the into the clothing. So I went first on packs. I'm gonna let you go first on clothing. Clothing. So uh, continuing the Kuyu fanboy uh, image. <laughs> pretty much everything I packed uh, was from them, and uh, we covered that in the previous episode about uh, about gear. A few things I all right. There were a few things that I was taking that I wasn't totally happy with until I got there, mm-hmm. and a few things I thought would be just magical and ended up being very good. So, um, kind of just running through. Love my pants. Once I got out, so the only time I, I ran those alpine pants was in South Carolina uh, for a couple hunts. Right, and they were kind of hot and sticky, right? Especially around the knees, where they're had the knee pads built in. Mm-hmm. Going up into a drier climate at higher altitude, I love those pants. Those things are amazing, and I love being able to like zip down the sides and the pockets, and everything is mesh and everything breathes. Um, yeah, so love the pants. The puffy jacket, I don't know if we can work this into an episode or not, but I I know that I was just ranting about the best piece of gear ever. And when you're cold, that puffy jacket was amazing. Um, loved that, loved it. You know, it was, it was great to like throw in the pack, climb up to like wherever you're glassing, throw it on. I, I, I loved everything about that jacket. Uh, I wore the soft shell a few days. I was happy with it. It was a good piece of gear. I can't imagine going without it. 
it might actually be the thing that's the intermediary step between that and something else. So I did the Teton, which is not an overly expensive jacket, but it was so good. It kind of has me looking at the higher end stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, they might have snagged me on that one. We didn't use the rain gear a lot. Probably have a story about that to do separate. You might have a spot in your mind for that. Uh, I did take mine with me. But then everything else was uh, merino wool, right? So ultra like 120, ultra 210, beanies, gloves, like my favorite piece of that. I like I like the the, the long sleeve t-shirt, but mm-hmm. the 210 hoodie. As it got cold, and it did get cold, that was a piece of gear that I can't imagine being up there without. So it just it did the transition so nice, right? Like you have the pack on, you got the gear, you're hiking early in the morning, it's in the 20s or 30s, you got the hoodie, you get up there, the sun starts shining down, you're hot, you know, unzip it halfway down, pull the hoodie back and like vent a little bit. I love that piece of gear. And then at night, later in the trip when it got really cold and we're you know, up at higher altitude. Um, I ended up sleeping in it, I think, the last three nights or maybe four nights. Uh, it was a great piece of gear, even with, like, with the beanie, with the gloves, like, making sure that my night would be comfortable. So, uh, camel pattern, you know, the Vias uh, was on everything. I like that well enough. I don't know. When we are in the rocks, I thought I preferred that to your ASAT. When we had grass and trees i thought your asap was probably better when we were still hunting through the pines there were times it was hard to find you i mean i just got to admit like you're stalking through the woods when your partner says i'm running asap i'm just kind of angry you know it's like how am i gonna find you luckily i had binoculars so there you go there's my there's there's my quick version and i would say um, likewise, I think with your camo pattern, what I noticed was as long as you stayed in the shadows, um, which, and I don't know if, I don't know if you even noticed this or not. I try to always stay in the shadows if I'm still hunting. Um, oh, yeah. there were a couple of times I goofed, but most of the time I tried to stay in the shadows. I, if you were in the shadows, it was sometimes hard for me to pick you out. If you weren't in the shadows, it was much easier. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I'm trying to recall. I know there's some times we were, you know, we were in rocky areas, and I don't recall a time trying to actually locate you in one of those situations. So I can't, I can't speak to that. But I'll just say that you know, as long as you know, when you were in a shadowy area, it was you blended in very well. I really don't have. I can't think of any questions to ask you on top of that i think you covered it pretty well i have questions Um, for you about yours so why don't you talk about your setup so i went in with all pretty much all first light you mentioned rain gear i'll get that out of the way real quick i had i've ended up buying some columbia rain gear which stayed in the stuff sack i never even took it out so um the one the one weather situation we had i'm not even going to get into that because i think it would be better in our our hunt experience uh episode but um so 
base layer again i was same way all merino wool merino boxers from first light mm-hmm. i had the lano or lano which is 170 um, gram merino wool for both a uh, t-shirt as well as uh, a long sleeve um, base layer top and bottom i pretty much wore that the entire time i don't i don't unless it might have been on the first the first day saturday i don't remember if i had the base the the bottoms on but other than that i had the base layers on pretty much the whole week uh, I did have a uh, what they call the Chama, which is a 230 gram uh, merino wool top that I did use uh, quite a few mornings. Mm-hmm. And then for pants, I had I started out with the Obsidian um, merino wool pants from First Light. Uh, I'll come back to that in a minute. And I had the Un Compadre uh, puffy jacket from First Light. Now. On the puffy, I'll start with that one first. So some of my clothing choices, I'm I'm a bit torn about, and I'll try to go through those, and I may answer some of the questions you already have. But the the puffy jacket, extremely warm, was very pleased with the jacket as far as being able to get up out of a cold sleeping bag and put something on that I knew I was going to get warm really quick. Um, I didn't wear it much while we were hunting. I think I wore it one morning for. I don't know, an hour. Mm-hmm. If we had been, without getting in again into a lot of the hunt experience, if we'd have been doing what we planned to do the whole week, which was high points and glassing, I would have probably worn that jacket more. But still hunting, it's just, in my opinion, it's too noisy, and I'm a big critic yep. when it comes to noise. Um, so for, you know, for performance perspective, it was great. And I'll, I'm not going to sell it. I'll definitely use it, but it's not a jacket I'm going to probably wear hunting in the east. Um, it's great to me sitting around camp, um, maybe fishing, those kind of things. It will get a lot of use. It just will not get use in whitetail woods. It, it's too noisy. Mm-hmm. I also carried my guide pants, corrugate guide pants. I had to think for the name there a minute. Uh, all of my gear was ASAT camo too, by the way, which you said, Tom. The Obsidian pants, I still like them. However, I think it was on Thursday afternoon, I walked past a down pine and actually tore a three-inch hole in the leg of those pants. And I've heard other people talk about that happening. It tore much easier than it should have for the amount of abrasion it got off of that twig. Um, I'm going to patch them up. I'll keep using them. But I will think long and hard about buying another pair of obsidian pants. For a pair of pants that cost almost $200, they need to be tougher than that. That, that was just ridiculous. Um, the corrugate guide pants, they're good. There's pros and cons. Um, the biggest factor for me is the antibacterial qualities of the merino wool. And the, if they get wet, the cord guide pants don't have that, but I still think they're good pants. They're definitely going to be a lot tougher, but you know, I guess that's, that's enough about that. So, uh, what questions did you have? Did, or did I answer them? So, you know, my little journey with first light, I do, I wanted, I wanted to love their stuff and I wanted to buy it. Right. I mean, I wanted to go that route. Do you think they have a great pant that would have been the right choice, like right out of the gate for this hunt? So I'll be honest with you. The um, 
I actually called and talked to him before the hunt because I at one point I was actually going. I've got some uh, fusion camo gear, and that's what I was planning to use for Wyoming. And for funding reasons, I decided to go with what I already had full sets of around the ASAT. And even when I talked to them on the phone, of course, part of that you and I both have done you know sales different industry, but we know what it is to upsell, mm-hmm. and I know that's part of it. <laughs> But, you know, they stressed, well, no, you, you're really going to want those obsidian pants. And I really do plan to call them back and tell them, you know, I think they're a good quality pant, mm-hmm. but they got to be tougher than what they are if you're going to charge $200 for them. That's just bottom line uh, yeah. for me. The corrugate guide pants would have worked as as well or better, especially since I was wearing the merino base layer all the time. It's not like they were ever going to touch my skin. Yep. The only thing, here's the last thing I will say, and and this is one area that for the most part, I think you and I are just, let me, before I say that, I don't think either of the clothing options are bad. QU, First Light. I think they're both good quality clothing. I think for minute reasons, we just, you and I have different opinions on what we're looking for. Hmm. I've got QU, uh, I can't remember if mine are the attack pants or what they are, but I've got a pair of QU pants. I've got the QU base layers, just like what you have, the mm-hmm. 120, 150, whatever they are. I've got them. I will use them, and I will hunt with them. My first choice, though, is to always go the first light. I think, for me, they're more comfortable um, against my skin. I think the sizing is better on the first light gear. I really have few complaints the two complaints I have, obsidian pants should be tougher. The puffy jacket um, is just too noisy. The material is too noisy. They've got another one that's more in line with the Teton that you bought, and I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. It might be a better option. Uh, I may pick one up one day just to see. But other than that, I'm, I, I really do like the first light gear. I'm The noise part, I'm probably in a little bit over picky. The toughness of the obsidian pants, as much as I hate to say it, I hunted with them all season last year and loved them. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're not, they're not tough enough for what they charge for. Well, I've got a few thoughts. So, Ryan Callahan has a hell of a mustache. Um, <laughs> and it 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 makes me want to support him. Yeah. Uh, going back, right? I couldn't get what I wanted, the size I wanted. So that, that was, that was a little tricky. Um, I do always look at your first light with a little bit of envy. I, I, I have to admit, um, your puffy jacket, I can't recall is first light down or synthetic. Based? No, it's synthetic. So we both had synthetic jackets. So I have that down allergy. So I had to have that. Hmm. I don't know. It, that, that, not maybe not to be decided on this uh, on this podcast because a lot of pros and cons to both options. Yeah, and two points I will throw out, and I think we mentioned this when we were talking about it before. But just to recap, I still say that your your timing was just really bad when you went to shop for first light gear because they were they were getting ready to completely revamp their line and they were trying to sell out of stock of the of the old product which is how i got all my asac gear so that's one yeah two the the other thing that i really did like about the puffy jacket was you know it packs inside its own pocket which was oh yeah really nice 
Yeah, I remember you you, you unfolded that thing, and it was it was slick. Yep. I'll give you that. And and it was very warm. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, from a from a perspective of doing what it's supposed to do, it does it really really well. And if you were if you were going to be sitting and glassing and being really still while you're glassing and not worried about noise, great. I mean, like I said, different hunting situation, almost like your pack, different situation, it'd be a great jacket. Mm -hmm. But if I'm still hunting through the woods, I need something that if a twig brushes up against it, it's not going to make that noise. So, All right. I I, I pulled that one out a little longer than I wanted to, but I I had to check. Well, that's okay. Um, uh, I do. uh, We didn't talk about um, socks and boots real briefly. We should. So I'll just jump in real quick. I think it's part of clothing. I don't want to drag this out. My socks and my boots, I, no complaints really. If I had anything to complain, I did use Danner Pronghorns. They performed well. They were heavy. If I had to do it again, now that I don't have all this other gear to buy, I will have a pair of lighter hunting boots that I will research well before the next hunt. But they served me well. I didn't get any blisters. I had no hot spots. Um, uh, I, I, no Bragging. complaints. That <laughs> all right, Nick? <laughs> yeah. At the at the end of the uh, so after we relocated, I did revert back to my my Merle hiking boots um, just because I didn't need all the extra ankle support without carrying that you know seventy five pound pack. Mm-hmm. And it was more comfortable being a lighter shoe, but again, no real complaints about the Danners other than they were just heavy, but they're an all-leather boot. For socks, I did the uh, Cabela's Polypro Base socks with Darn Tough Hunter Cushion, I think is what they're called. I wore the same pair of socks all week, hadn't, and I was very happy with them. Never had problems with my feet getting overly hot. That's that's it for me. All right. Uh, I love my Vasque. GTX boots, they did well, right? You look at the days when we did the really hard travel, and mm-hmm. they were amazing. Um, I don't know. They they were okay on the days when we're trying to kind of put a stock on. Um, I think the, the soles were a little too hard. Um, I kind of knew that going into it, but carrying two pair of boots is too much weight for trips like this. And we all knew it. So, yeah, you know, I went with a sole that was a little too hard for the support on the days I needed it. I don't know. I'd do the same thing again, right? Um, they did well. They got a little beat up. I mean, when we were work, working through the rock escarpments and all that, I mean, they, they got scratched and scraped. And they're still in good shape, but they got beat up on this trip. And they They've been on a few trips before, so it says a little bit about where we were. Socks were just smart wool. Uh, hikers, they were fine. Um, with the load and the extreme ups and downs, I did have a blister that formed. I don't know. It's part of the adventure, right? I mean, it happens. Mm-hmm. The thing I will say is, as soon as I brought it up to you, you busted out some special tape. What was that called? So I have to give a big shout out to uh, Aaron Snyder on that one. I can't remember. It was one of the Gritty Bowman 
um, videos, podcasts, whatever you want to call it, that he did with Brian Call where he was talking about leukotape. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I bought some of it, and yeah, that that stuff is amazing. So if if you've got a little first aid kit that you that you keep with you when you're on these hunts, and I think everybody should definitely need to have some Luco tape in because what did you over the course of the entire week you changed it out once? I did right, and when you say a week, I mean we went in. Oh, we were we, covering a lot of miles every day. Yeah, I mean like we went in on Friday and we. I think I dropped you off in the airport at what Sunday the following week. I mean, we, we mm-hmm. covered a lot of days and you know, like probably next episode we'll talk about fly fishing, but I mean, I was knee deep, hip deep in water every other day or every day for most of that, that Luco tape stayed stuck on for four or five days yeah, it was pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, we did. So, yeah, I swapped it out once before we did the last haul and did pretty well. I mean, that, that I don't know. I was very happy with that. Well, it's kind of funny. I, you know, I, I built that first aid kit our first trip to Wyoming in 2016. 2016, that was in there, right? No, it was not. That was not in there on that trip, uh, but I had a lot of other stuff and most of it's still in there, but I don't, unless we took out, um, a Pepsid or something out of that, or I'm, that would be me. Cause I, I do have acid reflux quite a bit, but I don't think we used anything out of that first aid kit the whole trip. No. And then for this trip, I took some things out. Um, again, some of that's based on other podcasts that I've listened to. And the Luco tape was one thing that I added. And I mean, I can't speak for you. I know how I am when I get a blister, but you know, that, that saved you from having a really potentially bad experience with having to deal with either, am I going to hunt or am I going to sit because my foot hurts so bad? So it was, it was definitely worth, worth having that and keeping it with us. So a hundred percent. Yeah. So you look at like what ruins most trips and it's guys with boots they haven't broken. So mm-hmm. I broke my boots in, I had a couple hundred miles on them. They're kind of in the prime of their life, right? I mean, my feet are used to them. They're used to me. 200, 300 more miles, I'll need to retire them. But I'm right. very happy with my boots. But yeah, that, that, that elevation change we're going through on days one and three, there was a little bit of room. I should have had like a little cushier sock. I created the opportunity for a blister to start, and it did. Yeah, that tape, uh, thanks for having it. Yeah, so I carried all the, the cooking gear and food, or, or prep that, 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 you know, that side of the trip. Mm-hmm. And I was so glad to lean on you with the first aid side, right? Because once I slapped that on, life was good for days. So, totally well, happy. And there's 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 some other aspects to the trip that I think we probably want to get into a little bit um when we when we do that discussion um but yeah I mean it, I think that's one thing that made the the, the hunt such a, a a good experience is we've gotten to the point where we we rely on each other we know we know we can depend on each other and at the same time 
you know, if if one of us says we're we're going to take care of something or we're going to be prepared for something, the other one's pretty good with knowing that mm-hmm. it's going to be a decent situation. You're not going to be going, oh God, what did he do that for? You know? <laughs> which is which is, I, I, and I'm sure you've been there too. You can't always say that, but it's true. Uh, let's so we're going to have to keep moving. We're I, I was going to say we got a lot to cover. We're in an hour ish, and yeah. uh, we've got a lot more to talk about. We do. Some of them I think will be pretty short, but this next one I do want to spend a little bit of time on because you just did a fantastic job here. Um, I'm gonna kind of I'll kind of lead this a bit if you don't mind because okay. it was I got to be the the uh, beneficiary of some some extra planning that you did. But just at a high level, we went in with um, the plan was for. Uh, breakfast was granola or, you know, some kind of, um, like granola or fiber one bars for breakfast, which mm-hmm. turned out really well. The only thing I will say is I made way too much granola. I will cut that in half to do this again. Yeah, um, there's did. a lot of very happy chipmunks in Wyoming still, um, because we just left the rest of it. I, I was so sick of it by, by like day four, I didn't want us anything else to do with it, but, um, it was, it was good. It was just, uh, again, it just, it was one of those things that it got old pretty quick. It um, was good. Don't cut yourself short. I mean, nice job with that. The, the, the fiber one bars, the cliff bars and, you know, um, um, nature Valley, I think was it granola bars that worked really good for just quick meals on the go. I don't think I would change anything there. Mm-hmm. um, Except mixing up the breakfast a little bit. As far as dinners, um, well, you pretty much put all this together. I'm sorry, was you going to say something? Yeah, just before we go off from breakfast. I mean, the important yeah. thing is our breakfast plan was like be able to walk out in the dark. Like we had the plan for just enough calories to like get our metabolics all working and get on the go. Right. So. Yeah, totally happy with it from that perspective. And and I did want to throw in the coffee real quick. So yep. you you'd actually planned the coffee. So you had the um, Nescafe cappuccino things, which I had never had, which, by the way, I got a whole box of them in from Amazon from London today. Oh, yeah, um, good. The, so you had those. You had some of the, the Starbucks via packets <laughs> and – some sweetener and, and carnation instant milk, which all worked Mm -hmm. great. I couldn't ask for any better, but like I sent you an email the other day, that little deal that Vargo's come out with, I think I'm going to have to get one and just try it, but I don't want to go down that rabbit trail, but the coffee worked out great. It was really (laughs) nice to have a hot cup of coffee. Uh, a lot of those mornings, the, the meals that you put together for dinner were actually really really good and i know it wasn't exactly what you had uh in, in originally intended to do but it still worked out really great so without going into every exact day pretty much what we had for the most part we had each a pack of the um tuna creations so they were all different flavors of tuna packets so everything from you know ranch dressing to uh, sriracha and hot sauce and, and buffalo style. I mean, those were really, really good um, and mm-hmm. quick and easy and light. Uh, you either had some kind of sliced deli, pepperoni, salami, those kind of things, or beef sticks. We had some weight there. So one, yeah. one thing I'd say about the uh, the Starkist uh, thing 
Mm-hmm. The nice thing is we could eat that while we were waiting for the alcohol stoves to boil water or whatever else we had going. So the nice thing about that is 100 calories, quick, easy, good flavor, high protein, and gave us something to eat while we were waiting for our food to cook. Agreed. And and really made the timing more efficient because we were constantly, from the time we sat down to eat, we started eating even while we were still cooking. Because even the even the beef sticks and the, and the deli stuff that you brought, same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Idaho and potatoes, new huge fan of those things. <laughs> those things were fantastic. Um, and again, quick and easy. I mean, all we had to do was boil a little bit of water. Mm-hmm. Um, you also had a couple of different, like you had, we had mountain house one, one night. It wasn't bad. Uh, what you know, was the we, other one that you had? We had to do that just for the experience, right? So when you're mm-hmm. looking at all the different things we ate, I think mountain house is the one thing that people kind of judge by. Right. So I think we had to have one night of uh, Mountain House beef stew just to kind of, you know, calibrate everything. And it was it was good. I don't have any complaints with yeah. it. Uh, um, and you had the, what was the turkey dumpling? I can't remember the company, the brand that was. So it was a chicken dumpling soup. And it's, uh, man, I wish I could remember. It's a a company that kind of caters to the Appalachian trail crowd. Mm-hmm. So it was gluten free, allergen free, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I can't remember all the details, but, um, yeah, it was, so it's a couple, oh, I wish I could remember where they lived, but we can track it down. Throw it in the show yeah. Notes. They're hikers. And, uh, one of them is a, uh, Oh my celiacs. One of them is a celiacs person, mm-hmm. and so they couldn't buy the stuff off the shelf, and they had to end up making all of their own food for the uh, the hike they were doing. I can't remember if it was Appalachian Trail, Pacific Crest Trail, or, or Continental Divide Trail, but um, they ended up creating their company, and it's available online. Uh, yeah, we just like cut the top off. Boiling water went into it, and uh, it was a it was a really good meal. So I'll get it to you for it, the show notes. Yeah, it was like I say, it was fantastic. Um, you also had uh, dehydrated some shrimp and some mm-hmm. chicken and some tuna. We never got to yeah. the tuna, but we did have the chicken and the shrimp. And I think we're kind of tired of tuna. Yeah, well, I just uh, we it just didn't. It didn't work out. It wasn't that I was, I wasn't necessarily tired of it. It just didn't work out, you know, in one of our meals, but the, the chicken and the shrimp, mm. Man, not only do we like it, but the, the wildlife liked the chicken. We'll go into that <laughs> another episode, but, um, uh-huh. it was great. And we ended up, you know, we, we, uh, rehydrate that while we were boiling the water for the Idaho and potatoes and fix the potatoes and then mix the dehydrated shrimp and chicken and it was really good yeah um yeah we did pretty only, good yeah the only and i'll be honest the only thing that we cooked the whole week that i wouldn't do again was that bear creek and i don't even remember vegetable beef whatever oh it was it you know what i don't want to get too graphic it didn't taste that bad but it was not something that you want to eat and then spend you know 12 hours sleeping in a closed up tent with two people because 
That it had some gastric Luck, feedback. <laughs> I'll leave it luck, that. Luckily, we had the stove jack in that, and <laughs> uh, we'll talk about that next episode. So, um, two things. Yeah. I, you know what, Steve? People don't get real about backcountry stuff. I think enough. So, I want to talk about two things, and I I, okay. I didn't give you any warning, but I I think that will make this even better. Okay. So whatever was in that Bear Creek suit <laughs> that yeah. created an absurd <laughs> amount of gas for 72 hours, yeah, people need to know, right? Just like, I mean, it, everybody understands like Mountain House, like plugs you up, which is why we ate it on the second to last night. Right. And since we only had one of them, it didn't affect me that badly. But me I either. Think, but I think if you were going to have that every night, I think it would cause problems. But yeah, so that Bear Creek soup definitely was like, I'm not normally a gassy kind of guy, and I was after that. And the second thing I think deserves mention is underwear. I did the Exficio route, mm-hmm. washed it. Every day I'd wash one pair and then wear it the following day and go through all that rigmarole. And you went with first light merino one pair the whole week and honestly you know it wasn't it, i have no complaints even going to the hotel room don't get me wrong i was looking forward to a shower after a week <laughs> but it, it wasn't Nine, 10 days uh, yeah 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 i mean it, it, it the underwear everything was still comfortable i did i did not feel like i'd been wearing the same i mean i know this sounds disgusting but it it really wasn't i mean it was it it was it felt as as comfortable and as fresh the last day as it did the first. I was really amazed. I mean, I've worn this stuff for extended periods, but not like this. Right. Right. Um, I no complaints at all. The stuff I wore, I liked it. It was comfortable. It was fresh because every other day I changed a pair and like right washed it in the creek and all that. But you boil it down, it I. I was a little envious of your just keep wearing it working for you mm-hmm. where mine required kind of daily maintenance. So yep. I think your Merino boxers was a huge win and I think it would be a disservice to listeners not to mention it. Yeah. And I, I, I touched on it. Back on when we were talking about clothing, but I didn't go into a great detail. It's just one of those things that honestly, it's it's hard to talk about without it. Just you know, you, you wonder if people are going that's just that's just gross. But it really it just wasn't. I mean, and I'm talking yeah. about slip. It, I mean, I was wearing them twenty four seven. So um, the only so thank you for bringing that back up. Anything else you wanted to add there? No, I think we kind of covered everything head to toe. I'm I'm good with that. So the only thing that I'm going to add to this, and I'll be really quickly, because we've still got mm, at least three more things I really want to focus a little bit on. Um, so with regards to the cooking, we went in with a plan to use our solo stoves, mm-hmm. alcohol, the alcohol stoves. You had done a lot of research on that on the fuel. That's yep. all in the previous episode. It worked. It was True. fairly easy. Um once we had some colder weather, it was a bit harder to light the alcohol. Um, I will tell you after 
I don't remember what day it was, five or six, you broke out the MSR, um, I think it's the pocket rocket, and we started cooking on, yeah. Hell of a stove. And yeah, I'll be honest, next time we do it, I'll leave the alcohol stoves at home. In fact, I've already bought one of those MSRs. I got one on eBay, new in the box, old stock for 25 bucks, I think. But uh, Killed it. And and it, the, the alcohol worked great. The stoves worked great. I'm sure. definitely keeping mine. I will probably use it a lot this fall when I'm hunting down in South Georgia and I'm just by myself and need to heat up something at night to eat. Um, but I think for a trip like that when – you really just want to minimize the time that you're spending preparing and doing that kind of stuff instead of hunting. I would, I would definitely go with the MSR the next time I wouldn't fool with the alcohol. What are your thoughts? Oh man. All right. So we have to have two ways to heat anything. So combining alcohol with a, uh, isopropyl based, you know, fuel canister, I think is a good combo. Uh, flip side, our solo stoves would use wood. Um, takes like three times longer to actually boil water. So um, we had a lot of options available to us when we were when we went from around seven thousand to over nine thousand feet, and the temperature dropped a fair amount. Uh, being able to just light up that MSR stove and actually have it work counted for a lot. I mean, I, I we did even at higher altitude, we did use the alcohol mm-hmm. um, for a few days. I, I have no complaints, right? I mean, it, it it did fair enough. I'm glad that we weren't limited to only burning alcohol stoves. Uh, at altitude, and I'm glad it wasn't any colder than it was. So, now the uh, few times we, we had, a lot. To, yeah, the few times we had to actually heat the alcohol to get it to light consistently, yeah, that was kind of the yeah defined line for me. Once it went past that, it was like, okay, there's got to be there's better ways to do this. But overall, I, you know, I definitely not complaining. It it worked, it functioned, it would have continued to function, but you spoiled me when you broke out the MSR cuz it was a lot easier <laughs> and, and and nicer. So, and the and the weights yeah. the weights minimal. I think the weight difference would have been it probably would have ended up being a little bit lighter overall. But Oh, definitely. Uh, yeah, it would have been less because uh we had two what were those 32 ounce fuel canisters full mm-hmm. yep and we burned one five ounce uh fuel canister and just barely started on a second right um so maybe 10 ounces plus a three ounce stove i mean talking about under a pound versus three to four pounds I mean, yep. I don't know. That might be crazy for some people, but it, it adds up. It does. It does add up. Uh, well, everything, we've, we've kind of learned that this trip, everything adds up. So, um, Should we talk about things we'll never do again? Let's see, let's see where we end up at the end, I guess, and maybe right. we will. Um, so leaving cooking at meals, um, water and water purification. Um, yeah. I, you know, the 
first of all, the, the steri pen that I carried for, for filling up a bottle of water, um, or, uh, a Nalgene bottle and purifying it on the spot. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, it, it pretty much will live with my pack wherever I'm hunting from now on. Uh, I liked it that much. Now for bulk water purification, we had the 10 liter dromedary bag that we kept in camp mm-hmm. and that little, you'll have to tell, you'll have to tell what it is. Cause I don't remember but that little pump MSR pump water filter you had was fantastic for that. So I think both systems worked really well. No complaints at all. Yeah. It's the, uh, the MSR mini that I've had, I think think i bought that for a trip in like 2002 i mean it's like a really old style um you did bump into a problem when the filter started getting kind of clogged up right mm-hmm. so yep. had to do ceramic maintenance on that uh well within specification no problem um but the flow definitely like slowed down and it was causing us to lose some hours of hunting or some minutes of hunting. Um, but yeah, mini, mini works. I think it's, I think that's what it's called. Uh, it's been a real good one, right? It's lasted a long time. Uh, what do we pump? Maybe 30 or 40 liters through that. At least 30. We filled up the 10 liter bag three times. Yeah. Um, and then when we were doing those, we'd do the extra Nalgene bottles. Right. So, so, yeah. I'd say 30, 35 liters at least. And yeah, um, love that. Love that 10 liter bag. It was great. Uh, a little envious of your Sturry pen. Um, I did not have one of those. I had a Life Straws a emergency backup, and I never used it. Right. I didn't want to. Um, I don't know. Don't like being reliant on batteries the steri pen but man that thing was slick so well then i had a i had a lot i had a life straw it's not a life straw it's another brand but i had one of those with me as well just in case i needed it um i agree on the battery thing which i did carry you know several sets and i've tried to standardize on any replaceable batteries being double a um and i will say that we Especially the first few days, you know, we were drinking from water that I know Fulgan well was contaminated. Everywhere we were at, there were what? lots of droppings, and the first the first day we were surrounded by cows. So, <laughs> I mean, I I know the you know I know the water was contaminated, and neither one of us had a single issue. So that both ways obviously worked. Yeah, no, it was um, we were definitely in a high risk environment. Uh, the land at the first camp was least grazing rights. So yeah, mm-hmm. there were, there were cows in the high country above us from a gravity perspective that were certainly contaminating every water source we had available. Sure. I mean, yeah. there, there was no place we could have turned for clean water. I mean, we saw, we saw where some of those springs came up and it was cow pasture right around it. Yeah. Right. So kind of you, you, you trace those uh, tributaries up to the top and there was no place we could have got clean water. So, yeah, we definitely had to do what we had to do. And then we went, you know, beyond that for the actual hunting. But, yeah, tough stuff. Yep. But overall, 
everything worked out great. And like I said, the most important fact is neither one of us got sick. So again, we we know we know the system worked. Um, and I don't I don't think I would change anything. I think if we went back again, I'd say please pack that pump, and I would bring I would bring the steering pin. Um, yeah, it was a good system. So, it really, it really was. Um, and speaking of good systems, let's go ahead and jump right into the next one: shelters and our our sleeping setups. And I'll mm-hmm. I'll let you kind of kick this one off um, with the with the shelter because I think it worked great. We had, correct me if I'm wrong, we had one sleep system. I mean, we were like kind of solely dependent on that. Yes, we were both of us. Wow, we should probably rethink that before next time. Uh, seek outside eight man TP, which was my backcountry hunters and anglers uh life membership mm-hmm. package so um tell you what, for two guys man we had like tons of room we got the thing staked out guyed out struck the pole up everything felt great i mean i i had high confidence in it um i had added uh, 550 cord loops for the guy lines, which had a reflective band in it. So when we came back after dark a few times, it was pretty easy to find it. Um, we had some bad weather and it was amazing. I mean, we were actually inside of it when it hit. There'll probably be more info about that, but I was 100% satisfied in everything it did i i I thought i thought the shelter was i was second guessing it going in thinking maybe it was too heavy i was going to bring that up yeah no i did i mean i was like man we could do two one-man bivy tents at half the weight and you get into needing to cook in the rain and that thing was amazing uh, with lots of room left over, we could have gotten three guys pretty easily, I think, uh, with gear. I wouldn't want to do much more than that, especially when the uh, the freezing rain came down. Uh, that wasn't freezing rain; that was hail. But we'll we'll we're definitely going to get into that in our in our other episode because that was that was a heck of an experience. Um, so I was going to bring up that, yes, you did. In fact, I heard about a 30-minute conversation as we were driving up from Sheridan, uh, I think, is when we actually talked about that, that the, the possibilities of how we could do the tent differently. First, I will say setup was fairly quick and easy. Takedown was fairly quick and easy. Um, like you, we mm-hmm. had plenty of room. We had all of our gear. I actually had carried a tarp just to put our gear under. We didn't even set it up because we had plenty of room for both of us. I still think, and I'm going to spend some time this winter playing around with a few uh, different setups with regular tarps. I think if we were doing, and I'll throw an example at you without getting into this too deep. If we were going into the area that we ended up and we were going to park and then go up on top of one of those, which I think will play into our next hunt and some of the things we're going to learn, but where where we were at, you know, uh, some of the areas we could see, you could see to the tree line and and see above that. I think if we were going to park and hike our gear in that extra thousand feet from ninety nine ninety four hundred up, mm-hmm. unless it was going to be really cold, I think next time I would say let's go with a couple of ten by ten tarps. Still go floorless, but do a a, a tarp shelter 
just from a weight perspective. But if I was in a scenario like we were this time where you're hiking in a mile or less and you're wanting to set up a really solid base camp, I love to shelter and I would do it again in a heartbeat. But I think depending on what hunts we have in the future, I just think it's one of those things that we probably need to discuss and plan out a little bit more detail as far as what we're going to do and then make a selection based on that. But no complaints with a shelter. None at all. I think it's a good tool to have in the toolbox. What, just about a year ago, you and I had a, uh, a hunt we did in the Canvas Pyramid. And right. that did very well for us for what we needed. It's just a question of, you know, what's the right shelter for the, the hunt you're on? Early season hunt? Yeah, I could be I could be tempted to do a, a a tarp shelter. I think I think that might that might work well. It's just a question of when things go bad. And that again, the hailstorm, you know, that's something to consider. That could have been that could have been a, a potentially bad situation in a tarp shelter. But I think if you planned it, you could be okay. A little bit more in the way of Tyvek instead of just enough for for the for this the sleeping pad you know have one cut big enough that would be the size of the floor of that shelter and that's a good point you mentioned too about around the the canvas castle you know we talked about that if we were doing a hunt in the southeast or in the east or even in the in the midwest um, without going fully west weather conditions might dictate a standard you know floor dome tent or something like that i'm I'm, in fact i'm probably going to start shopping for a something better than just a a cheap coleman for those kind of situations but overall again no complaints and to keep this moving forward same thing goes for the the sleeping setups i think with the exception of our air mattress we pretty much had the same setup yeah yeah so that went really well i was kind of surprised i was a little light on right uh, garments early in the hunt, but I added that, uh, I put that 210 hoodie on and that was great the last few nights, but, uh, it was a little bit about just me kind of testing limits in that. So, uh, I took the 20 degree outdoor vitals bag, um, had the little silk liner in the, in the, in the pillow. And we were down the twenties, I think most nights. And, it was okay uh, when I added the extra layer of, uh, you know, bottoms and and that hoodie. I mean, man, I slept good after that. I was I was I was a little worried maybe I'd start snoring. It was just a little too comfortable. So um, the Tyvek sheet, um, the Cabela's Instinct insulated inflatable pad. And um, and the outdoor vitals combo. I mean that that served me very well. And I would echo that. I'd be you know the um, the Tyvek. I think worked really well. It it is and can be noisy. I think that got better um, as sure. we you know tightened the. We did stake it down with stakes. We had grommets on the Tyvek. That helped a lot, and it wasn't overly bad. But you know there is some noise that especially setting it up it's it's horrible how much noise it makes but it it worked really well protected the the sleeping pads i think it gave us a little bit of extra insulation worked great i had the thermarest x therm or something like that it worked very well as a sleeping pad 
I'll be honest. I, I got to just say the outdoor vital stuff, especially for the price, I'm blown away. The uh, kudos to you for, for ordering that, that liner. I've never used a liner and sleeping bag and I am a huge fan. I'm going to be buying another one of those for my, for my slumberjack rectangle bag. So I'll have it cause I, I love that thing. But so pretty much every night, maybe exception of one I had on my, my one twenty whatever it is. I said a while ago, it's the Lano base layers from first light. I had the bottoms on, I kept my socks on, had the, the long sleeve lightweight Merino top and a QU Merino wool beanie. That's all I, I never put on a heavier jacket. I never slept in anything more than that. Um, and there were a couple nights that I actually had to unzip the bag because I woke up, I was actually too hot and had to vent out some heat. But I mean, overall, I think one time I got that coldest night we had, I think I got a little chilled, but overall, I mean, I was fine. In fact, even one night, this is one experience. I'll go ahead and throw this out there because it's, it kind of relates back to the bag. I got it one night to relieve myself at midnight, 1230. And the sky was just so beautiful. I actually set out on our, the rock out there. We had a big rock we called our cooking rock. And I, I plopped down on that and I stared at the sky for a half hour. And by the time I got up to walk back in the tent, I was, I was shivering. I was so cold and I was back sleeping 30 minutes. So mm-hmm. The outdoor vitals gear, no joke. It worked very well. The pillow, the liner, the sleeping bag. I was very impressed for what that gear cost and how well it performed. If it was going to be colder, I would probably yeah, get a heavier system. bag, but I would I would definitely not hesitate to buy a heavier outdoor vitals bag. It worked great. Well, I'm a little torn, so less than 48 hours from now, I'm going to leave off for a, a bear hunt. And weight's not an issue, and I've got a zero-degree canvas bag. And I've got that 20-degree nylon bag from Outdoor Vitals. And I don't know which one I'm going to pack. It's like, that thing really did well. And I love the liner. And I love the way the uh, the pillow, yep. inflatable pillow, like goes up into the hood. Yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do. Because it, it it definitely, you know, those those bags served us well. Yeah, I, I don't know what more I could ask of them. They, they did well. Um... You know, for me, the, the, the bag liner was about not getting the bag dirty, but it did have just a little, so it was a little uncomfortable, like getting in, it's a little tight, but yeah, they, they do have a, a little insulating factor, nice kind of sheet inside of that. So, um, the only thing I'd say is the Tyvek, uh, liners that we had there, Mm -hmm. right? The, The little ground cloth. So I'd put tent stake grommets in with little 550 cord loops a few times like a little bit of a hill you end up like scooting down i was worried every night that the stakes might have a sharp edge and pop my sleeping pad it was just it was, it was all in the back of my mind didn't happen all was well but yeah totally happy with the sleep system and the velcro idea of keeping the because well, so I bought some really heavy-duty Velcro strips to try to keep the sleeping bag from sliding on the Tyvek, and yeah. nothing will stick to the sleeping pads. So it didn't work out so <laughs> great. But um, so for optics, I'll let you go first on the optics. So what you need to do is run out and buy a 
inexpensive spotting scope. (laughs) And then just before you leave, you need to like go out and smash it in the road. Just not even think about having it. And uh, so I had a, oh man, what was that? Like a 20 to 40 power spotting scope. Um, I was going to borrow a spotting scope. It was way too heavy. I found something that was a compromise between high power and lightweight. And it was kind of like the time I bought a Kawasaki KLR650, uh, which is a one-cylinder kind of street, kind of dirt, enduro motorcycle. It was the worst of both worlds. (laughs) And my spotting scope was six pounds all in with a tripod. And it was the worst of both worlds. Right. Um, my 10 power, like 10 by 42 Leicas was amazing. Like I could put them on my knees with a good rest and they were great. And that cheap spotting scope, 60 power on a tripod that weighed six pounds was marginally better the one time I used them. So, um, cheap, high power optics, the worst thing ever. Uh, high end, like mid, mid level optics, you know, 10 power, loved what I had. And then my, uh, compacts. I had a little pocket pair of, I can't remember. What were those? Like six by 25? Something or eight like by that. 25? No, I think there were sixes. It, yeah, I think there were six. I think there were six by 25s. They were like something off Amazon, right? Mm-hmm. Super cheap, easy. And I took those kind of everywhere. And I, I'm kind of liking them. And now it kind of has me thinking about buying a, a compact pair of Mavens. Um, yeah, I like those. So my 10 by 42s loved them. My FHF gear, uh, harness continue to love. It's like the perfect tight package close to chest. Love everything about it. So yeah, my main optics, uh, I, I, I wouldn't change a thing and my, you know, cheap, compact pair i have no complaints how about you so the first thing i would say is i haven't written off spotting scopes um i will definitely make a point not to buy a cheap one but um Mm -hmm. you know the the tripod on yours breaking on day one was just yeah that was ridiculous i still think you ought to send those things back and get your money back um but if, you know, would what we don't know is would we have been handicapped had our original plans played out where we had spent a lot of time glassing, um, locating, and then once we located an animal, then really, you know, in looking through the spotting scope to, to, to judge and so forth, you know, that's an unknown because of the way the hunt played out, and we'll, we'll get into that later, but um, so... As far as my optics, so I had the Maven 11 by 45s. Love those glasses um, for what they were, what I bought them for. 
fantastic. Um, being able to sit and pick apart uh, brush, pick through details um, of, of layers through layers where, you know, you're actually focusing through different layers to, to look at um, every leaf. I, I've fantastic, probably the best glasses I've ever, I've ever used. Um, I did experience, um, and I really contributed more to like motion sickness the first day, you know, of, of really just sitting glassing with those things a lot. I think it was probably more the way I was glassing than it was the glasses because I was, I was doing like grid searches, but probably probably going too fast i started slowing down and really looking into the details and it stopped so i don't think it was the glasses i think it was me um i like them so much i'm sorry what were we behind the glass that day i mean it was like uh, 10 hours 11 hours uh 10 or 11 yeah it was a long time that was a long day to be behind glass, right? I mean that that yeah. And I didn't we gave it a good yeah, go. Yeah, and I didn't have any headaches or anything like that. It was just, you know, I'd I'd feel and I won't even say lightheaded. It was just it was a I can't really put my finger on it, but it just, you know, I I could tell it was it was it was bothering me a little bit, but once I slowed down and instead of trying to glass so much, really spent more time, which is what I should have been doing to begin with. It's more effective. But when I slowed down, it, it went away completely and it didn't bother me anymore. Um, with the way our hunt turned out and the way our, our hunt style changed the bulk of the week, they were, they were overkill. And I even switched back. I'd carried my, by eight by 42 uh, Nikons for approach glass glasses. And I ended up using those more, but I will say I like the Maven so much. Um, I'm probably going to keep the Nikons just as a backup pair. Uh, I wouldn't get anything for them cause they, I mean, they've, I've used them a lot, but I'm probably going to be picking up a set of uh, six by 30 Mavens for, for white tails and so forth around here. I really like them. And then I'm going to start putting away some money, so that before our next hunt, I'll have a Maven spot and scope. Um, before we do another hunt like what we intended this hunt to be, I'll have a Maven yeah, spot and good. scope. So, you want to carry those two? Um, mm, it'll depend on how the weight works out. <laughs> I th- you know, all in all, oh, I've got no complaints. I mean, and I should guess we should have stated that because it really was part of this gear discussion. We, um, without going into a lot of details on it, we we had a little bit of time. Um, Friday morning before we actually headed up where we were going to hunt and we sat down and we we basically took all of our gear and laid it out and then sorted through it and packed it based on volume and weight and we got to packs pretty doggone close from a weight perspective which in my opinion is the bigger factor anyway um, yeah within a few pounds so I mean I, th- I guess we should say that it wasn't just sheer luck that we ended up within six or eight pounds of each other on our packs we 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 took the time to do that um so you know i i'll let you carry my spotting scope if you need to wait so don't worry about that <laughs> you know you know i will say kind of like a, a a quick shout like that little luggage scale 
ended up, I mean, like whatever that cost, like $10, $15 or whatever yeah. it was, having a digital scale that you could just grab a piece of gear and get the weight off it in like a split second at trailhead. That was probably one of our more important pieces of gear. Right. And we never took it anywhere with us. We just threw it back in the goat hauler and you know, but, but it was, it was good to know like, Oh, that's, that's three pounds. I'm at 58 pounds. Here's the net effect, right? Mm -hmm. I mean. But to be honest, Tom, that kind of goes back to what I was saying. And I think that's a good point for anybody that's thinking about doing one of these hunts. I mean, there's, there's solo hunts uh, and I'm, I would really like to do a solo hunt sometime in the next five years or so. But for the most part, most people are going to be doing this with a partner. And, you know, that kind of thing means a lot if you've got a hunting partner that you can go do something like this that's thinking enough ahead of time to say, I'm going to pack a scale so that we can make sure that we're, you know, we're, we're being fair to each other on this gear. I know there's people out there that wouldn't even think about that. So, you know, yeah, I agree with you. Scale was great and it worked out well, great. And I wouldn't say it's as much about being fair as really knowing your limitations and packing appropriately. Right. I mean, if I picked up my pack and it was 90 going into this, I would have just stopped everything and said, okay, be, you know, as a matter of safety, that's too much, right? Yeah. Either knowing where we're going and the elevation gain and loss, I need to drop 20 pounds or if we can't do that, we're going to need to like half it right. and plan our trips. Yeah. Right. Like, okay, if we did 45 pounds, could we do those miles twice in one day or do we need to plan for, you know, like, but yeah, if you didn't know what you were in for just the grown, you know, measuring by grown yeah. was not a good measure. Very true. Very true. So yeah, it was good stuff. All right. Last one. Um, or pretty much the last one, because like I said, we've got about 10 minutes left here to wrap this thing up. But um, GPS and navigation, I'm going to take this one since, I guess, and I'm not saying this with a swell head or being a, a, a jerk about it, but most of the navigation, I think, I kind of took on myself. Mm. Um, so Garmin, Montana, both of us had one. I still love the GPS absolutely my favorite i'd buy another one in a heartbeat if i needed to i did carry a, a 401 um i forget the name but it's a garmin 401 if you search that you'll find it just a little backup um really allows you to store a waypoint and then navigate back to a waypoint just in the case my montana failed or i dropped it on a rock whatever um always made a point to put in a waypoint for the vehicle for the camp um, and that's pretty much is all I ever did with that. Now we had maps. We did use the maps on a couple of occasions and I'm talking about, you know, old fashioned folded topo maps. The other thing that really surprised me though, and I'm, you know, I'm, I want to be careful how I say this, but for the most part, every, everywhere we went, if you would take the time to get a general view of your surroundings, I know people can get lost 
but if you're aware and you pay attention, it would be really hard to get truly lost both of the places that we were at. We had um, a couple of different landmarks that we used. The, the area that we hunted the most, we had that one mountain that had the you know, pretty narrow or, or small amount of rock face at the very tip of it, and we could almost always see that. Um, we did use the GPS quite a bit as far as just using the track so we kind of knew where we were in relation to the, you know, roads or or trails or that kind of thing. No complaints with either one of them. I, I wouldn't change a single thing going back. Um, the only thing that I would probably, and I, I, I've said this for years, I really need to sit down or maybe even take a short course around more accurate compass navigation. I kind of approach it as a general compass navigation, so I always know where a handrail is and the general direction of how that handrail is it running east to west, north to south, south, and I can use that as a way to get back to an area where I can find my way back to camp kind of thing. Um, But just being out there and seeing seeing it firsthand – I can definitely see we're being able to navigate by compass more accurately than what I than I do out east would be handy. If you look at the first area that we hunted quite a bit, I mean, I've got some pictures where the scale just really you you, you can't get a grasp on the scale uh, of what you're looking at. I mean, you know, there were areas that we were at that we would literally walk for an hour. And you feel like your hat, you haven't, you, you could look up and it's like the scenery hasn't changed. Um, so, you know, the scale is the yeah. biggest thing. But as far as getting lost, I was never, I don't think I was ever in any situation where I was worried about being lost or getting lost. Um, so, anyway, I, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Anything you would no, add? I, yeah, for sure. Um, so, one thing, you know, the hardest thing for me growing up out there is it's typical to be able to see, like identify a mountain and go, oh, okay, I know that's that mountain. And you see like another one, you're like, okay, I know that's that, you know, that mountain. So that puts me in this valley and there's that finger over there and I'm going to go up that way and the, you know, the truck will be over there. Right. So when I moved east and I was just, you know, in a black swamp at night with no moon. And it's like, how do you even know where you are navigating? You know, um, it's very difficult. So you, you end up going into GPSs or, uh, compasses or night navigation or whatever technique is going to get you where you need to go. And it was kind of neat to watch you because you're like, Oh, you know, it's dark, it's downhill. Like, camps over there like you know you're not gonna accidentally gain a thousand feet and go over a mountain and miss your camp right, right? like it's just it's it's funny to think about how different it is so i did carry my my gps my uh garmin montana had the uh onyx map in it everything was preloaded we knew where our wilderness area boundaries were, we knew private land, we had all that stuff kind of nailed up, kind of the, the, the basics that uh, probably don't warrant discussion. But I remember one night, just like 
it was right at dark. We were at the parking area. Camp was a quarter mile away or something like that. I was like, you know, follow me. You know, I knew the rough downhill. I knew where the mountain was. You know, we could see the stars. We knew, knew where we were. It's like, okay, let's just get this over with. Get back, settle in. Maybe I was ready for dinner. Maybe I was grumpy. I was hangry. Um, <laughs> but it's funny. Like if, if you think about people maybe from the, you know, the East, you know, what's difficult for them is not going to be what's difficult for people out West. And it was kind of fun to watch, you know, it's like kind of fun to watch you kind of settle into having those perspectives for navigation. And especially on those couple first days. You know, we had major train features. Right. And uh, there was one time, I don't remember if we were, I think we were actually going out of camp where you took off a certain direction. And, and I even said something to you. I said, you sure that's right? And I don't even remember how I, and you were right. I'll give you credit. You, we, went, we ended up right where you wanted to be. The little things like that didn't, I didn't think about them. They didn't worry me that much. It was more about the bigger picture. And I was never worried about the bigger picture of actually getting lost. Might I have to stumble, stumble around for, you know, four or five minutes to get my orientation to find, <laughs> you know, a, 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 how wide is that tent? You know, yeah. a 10 foot wide tent inside of 500,000 acres. Yeah. You know, I might have to stumble around a little bit, but I never worried about, I don't know where the hell I heck I'm at. You know, I, that just never even entered my mind. I was, I was I always felt like I was very aware of exactly where I was at the general direction I needed to go. And thinking back, even subconsciously, I always had in my mind, if I reach X, then I know I need to turn. You know what I mean? So again, I, I would just say, you know, don't go out there and just think you can take off walking and not have a care in the world. But if you just do a little bit of thinking and, and being aware of your surroundings, it's much easier, in my opinion, to get lost out east than it is out west. You would just Thank be you. lost longer <laughs> out west. <laughs> it's true. Been turned around for three or four months from time to time. Um, no, but you, know, like you think about you sending me out looking for those dang bright eyes, you know, without knowing where I was Oh yeah. Yeah. Really going or having a train feature, you know, truly like a 4 a.m. track. Yeah, it, it it things out east, even though you don't have the distances that we talk about out mm-hmm. west, um, they can be a little daunting, right? Maybe as maybe as a Montana guy, I'm not supposed to admit to that. I don't know. But you know, you get you get in the deep dark with no moon and a fairly small amount of acres can be difficult to navigate where out West with the little moon. Yeah. You can wake up in the middle of the night, walk out and do a few hundred yards here and there and, and, and go find, uh, uh, go find the the special stump you're looking for at midnight and like come back and sit at at, a cooking rock. And yeah, it's not a big deal. Well, and you've you've been in these situations, you know, out east with me, um, Crispin. This past weekend, I, I'm not picking on him, but I'm going to bring him into this conversation a little bit. But it was the first time he's actually hunted with me, 
And, you know, I carried him to one of my favorite areas to hunt, which from where you park is a mile and a half or more. And when I got back to him from my stand Sunday night, it was already pitch black dark. I mean, you couldn't see anything without your headlamps. And then we have to walk a mile and a half back to the truck. And he never said a thing until we were over three-fourths of the way back. And he said something about, it wasn't are we going in the right direction, but it was something along that line. I can't remember exactly what he said. And I said, no, I, I got you, Crispin. I know exactly where we're at. And he said, he said, yeah, he said, I, I'd be lost. If I, if I had to try to find my way back from where we went in that morning in the dark, he said, there's no way I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't find my way back. I said, well, we're, we're getting close. It's not that much farther. So, um, but it is a, it is completely different. Um, but without rambling any further, that's really all we had on the list other than before we talked about some random items. The only real random thing that I want to bring up is the, the crazy creek chair did work out really well. Um, I really liked the, oh, dang I really it, liked the chair. That's the only thing I was going to bring up. I don't know if you want to add anything. Yeah, mine broke. So I pulled my crazy creek out and it was not a crazy creek as it turns out. So I don't know where along the way where mine got off to, but I ran out and got a knockoff crazy Creek and I broke a buckle on the first night and I tied it up. Um, and then it broke a buckle. Oh, when did I break the second buckle? Like Thursday or Friday night. It was fairly, fairly, fairly along the yep. trip, you know, but it was like, Dang it, I wish I had, like, there was, you know, I just wish it would have worked. And then I ripped out the top of it. So the metal support structure Mm -hmm. ripped through the end of the the little, like, thing. Anyway, yeah, basically that thing fell apart over the course of the trip. But it was so comfortable and such a luxury that, I mean... All the cooking, the eating, everything we did in camp, uh, packing it out to go get comfortable to go do some glassing. I mean, everything about that thing was perfect. It was just, I had a cheap knockoff version, and I won't say it made the trip suck, but it wasn't great. Well, and I'll be honest, I mean, I don't think they're, they're great. I think they're good. Um, but for, for what they are, the amount of weight, the ease, you can just take it out and get into it. You know, definitely, definitely an improvement over just sitting on the ground. Mine held up fine and I would definitely take it again for the amount of weight it had. It was, it was, it was perfect. So, well, my love is like, you could just like set the thing down, like unbuckle it, lay it flat. Now you got like a one foot by two foot or bigger area. You can like. Set on your glasses, set on your phone, right. have your alarm clock that's going to go off, have a place to sit while you're strapping your boots on. Because, um, you know, it was a, a dirt floor tent. So uh, just having a place to, to sit and take your boots off, put them on, get off the mud, whatever. Right. I, I, I thought it was worth the money and the weight, and I wish I would have put a little more money into mine well, when I had to replace you, it. You, you've got to now, so... <laughs> Because yours, yeah. yours is gone. So, yeah, true. Uh, other couple things. Yeah. Lucy Lantern, 
So we were always charging something up while we were out of camp, not having to deal with you know, the weight of a real lantern. I thought that was a great one. Your charging panel did really well. Um, uh, kept phones going. Shout out to stuff like yeah. That. Shout out to Derek Sheehan for sending those, and he let me borrow his uh, Sony point and shoot camera, which grabbed some awesome photos, and the charging stuff worked really well. Good. So, thank you, Derek. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, it just um, the solar stuff worked really well. It was weight on the front end, but it gave us time on the back end because we weren't lugging back and forth. Uh, the Leatherman. So, unfortunately, we didn't need to use the Havilons, uh, but the rebar, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not saying some shooting was going on that involved digging broadheads <laughs> out of stumps, <laughs> but if that happened, yep. uh, so you got the serrated blade, the, the normal blade, the pry, you know, the, the, the pliers, just everything about it was great for everything we needed, so happy with that. Uh, just spice pouches ended up like putting a lot of spices in a lot of things we cooked uh that worked out mm -hmm. great um so just you know I, th I think the little things little things kind of turned into the big things i would agree as often happens in life so uh pick your ounce as well and shave the pounds where you can so well, and I'll, I, I will wrap up with saying I've already made a list of the things that I carried that I never I never used, and I will be making a note that no matter how much I want to oh, argue good. myself into bringing them next time, I will not do it. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Glad we didn't carry a, uh, a tree stand, too. Yeah, this is true. Um, I still, I don't know. I got to think about that one a little bit more, but... Um, we can cover that when we talk about the actual hunt itself, because I do have some thoughts there. But yeah, yeah, good stuff. Well, Tom, we've uh, we've managed to take up a little over two hours on this, so I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this up. I yeah. hope that you know everybody listening. I I hope you can learn from from some of our uh, successes and our our mistakes here um, with regards to the gear selections. Uh, I would just add that you know, regardless of what Tom and I have said. Um, it, it goes without saying, do your own research as well. Um, you actually learn a lot by going through that research. Yep. Good stuff. All right, buddy. Well, Tom, I really do appreciate you taking the time to sit down and go through this stuff with me. And uh, now we get to officially start planning the next adventure. So um, <laughs> with that, I'm going to let you go. I know you got to get, get cracking right. packing for your bear hunt. Um, look forward to talking to you when you get back and have a safe trip. And man, I wish you all the success in the world. All right, thank you. And you too. It's hunting season, hunting season there, so good luck to you. All right. Thank you, buddy. Take right. care.